welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. My name's Chad. I'm Brodorn. We tried pretty hard to not make this a product-oriented show, and I'm going to do my best with this episode to make it no different. But Brodor says, screw you, we're talking about a product. But, well, Brodor, all right, so you uh, so I, you I'm, did an interview with Jim Pinto. I did. And then Lowercase j, lowercase p. And then you also appeared on his show in an episode that may not run. So Jim, did he invent Pinto beans? Because I like Pinto beans. Yeah, so I don't know if he invented them, but it is spelled the same way. We can edit Wikipedia to make that happen. I think, We've done it before. We'll I do think, it again. I'm in. Yeah. Monty Cook invented uh, small oranges. oranges. Yes. Tiny oranges was how I think he Mm -hmm. put it in. Fantastic. Anyway, so I had Jim on my show. And Jim, during our post-interview chat, Jim said, hey, would you like to be on my YouTube show? Is a podcast called My 10th Level Paladin. And he talks to people about a character, one character, right? So as opposed to the please never tell me about your character, Jim's idea was, you know what? There are great stories about characters out there. Let's hear them. But it hasn't aired yet. And I, you know, was under the impression that it was going to air sooner than now. And I think maybe, just maybe, I'm not a great podcast guest. Now, (laughs) I was on somebody else's show, uh, Murder Time in the Hobby Basement with Keith Aldrich. And that episode never aired, even though I interviewed him on my show. You know, Porter, I've been called a podcast whore before because I've been around on all kinds of things. I've never had one not air. So, well, because Brodor uses Brodor language. So, Jason Brick, who does the Safest Family on the Block, had me on his show, and we talked about gaming from the perspective of a family activity and as a team building exercise and how it's good for kids, blah, blah, blah. I don't know if that episode is going to ever air. I feel like people. In fact, we haven't had an episode of Fear of the Boot out in two years since you joined. <laughs> people. People enjoy being on my show and they enjoy speaking with me, but I think I need to accept the fact that maybe the content that I provide for their show might not be arable. I don't know if it's all of the content so much as not everybody bleeps and or (laughs) do not like the context of having something bleeped because it's fairly obvious what was bleeped. Well, yeah, I mean, you've got to be... when It's like I punch that mother bleep yeah, in I mean, the bleep. You've I mean, got to be pretty stupid to not, not yeah, understand. Exactly. And yeah. Patreon isn't going to demonetize us like YouTube will jump into. Oh, yeah. They're brutal about looking yeah, for any excuse they can to take. They leave the ads in, yeah. but they keep the money. They are brutal about so, that. All right, but anyway, the point being... Jim, though, he's a prolific game designer. He designs a lot of stuff that you can find on Drive-Thru RPG, but there's a particular thing that Jim Pinto put Precisely. out that we are going to talk about today. There, if you are interested in this, we will link it in the show notes. I think it's available on drive through. It, it was a Kickstarter. The Kickstarter is over. Essentially what it's going to do. Um, and I don't want to spoil too much, but it is going to take the concept of post-apocalyptic role-playing games and put a very different spin on them. And I think there's a couple things that are notable about the game that we should discuss. First among them is that this game has a really intriguing setup. 
as to why the world is the way that it is, but also the player characters are encouraged to have a lot of buy-in and this world that is, the, you know, the war is over, right? Well, Dan, you've got your little, you've got my little thing there. That yes. Which war? The world, world War II. II. Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Well, so. Because I'm not. Because I looked at the propaganda posters, yeah. and there's some errors. So, so it's amazing, right? Yeah. Because it is World War II. And, 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 Look at and, the last picture of the date. It's an alternate history version. Yeah. Again, it's difficult to review right. the whys of the game, the setting of the game, without too much spoiling. In fact, there is a specific page, page number 73, where it says... If you're not going to be the game master, seriously, don't read this page. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. The real high level pitch is World War II is occurring. And for some reason, the world stops advancing. Time just starts treading water. Right. And the high level pitch I'm looking at here, it's, it's very much still in the propaganda, high industry, high military machine era of World War II. And everything is just sort of stuck in place. And I don't know why I've honestly not read the book, but it kind of has a vibe to me of like We Happy Few or if you played a game of Bioshock before the game takes place when you have what was that underwater city called? Uh, it was called, I played that a decade ago. <laughs> yeah, is the whole, yeah. it was Rapture. Rapture, yes, the city of Rapture. So it's that sort of thing. The rest of the world is moving on. For some reason, well, this town of but, Fairview but is it's, not. But, but it's different than that, if I may, because you don't communicate with the outside world for whatever reasons are existent in your world. Communication is done through the municipal office and through the mayor. So any communication that you get from the U.S. government about the supplies that you're producing, because Fairview. So this sounds like you're on the inside of a Star Trek episode and the crew's about to beam down and fix this. <laughs> Again, I cannot yeah. okay. spoil the game, so but dumb. Fringe, Twilight Zone, right. like it has a mm-hmm. thing that other games don't do. But that's just the thematic pitch of the yeah. game. Yeah. What and we re- don't want to give away the story. Yeah. But what really makes the game unique to me, and we've talked about mm. this before, is that your character sheet is going to be a strong indication of your bells and whistles. And the character sheet in this game, it doesn't have strength. It doesn't have IQ. It doesn't have things like that. It has what are my duties? What is my duty to Fairview? What are my hobbies? What do I engage in when I'm not engaging yeah, in my so duties? So there are two things. What are my relationships? Yeah, it, it, there are two things I want to talk about in this game. And Brodor just hit the first. The second is an art book, which we'll come back to. But Brodor just hit the first. So the character sheet, top is name and community role. So I'm Bob and I'm a metal worker, whatever. Then you have duties, <laughs> hobbies, <laughs> could be duty relationships secrets and situations and so it's a very a descriptive much like what you would see in fate where what is your high concept for your character these are descriptive i don't see i don't know are there numbers there are so basically everything is going to have a rating from zero to five and that's the number of d6s that you are going to roll And then there's a simple success chart in the book. So if you get, you know, a zero to whatever, it's a failure. 
10 or above is, and you add all of your D6s together. Okay. Right? So 10 or above is a success without consequence. And then 20 or above is a major or great or critical, however you want to define it, success. And so it's very, very basic. And then B, it's not just descriptive. It is also contextual because you are describing here what is going on with your character, not how strong am I, which that makes sense in certain games. But in this game, it's, you know, not who am I in context of myself, but who am I in context of the other characters and the NPCs and the town that's around us? You know, what do I do for a living? What do I do for fun? What relationships do I have? What secrets am I keeping? What drama am I caught up in? You know, all of these things that describe the character in terms of who they are in the world. The sorts of things I would usually look for in a character's backstory or in the group template are instead a built-in part of the character sheet. And once again, I don't think this is right for every game, right? but it is a neat concept. One thing I like about this on the bottom half that I'd love to see on more character sheets, everything there's how you interact with the world. The bottom part is the world. It's Fairview. It's a town, yeah. So I'm assuming that every character will have the same information under town traits. I look at games like Dresden Files, where we go through at the beginning, we create our city. We create the town and all the settings and things. There are other games like that out there. But once you do that, that's a separate sheet that disappears. I love the idea of having that on a character sheet because I know as a GM, I look at that when I'm thinking about building the overall campaign plots and things. As a character, I never reference that kind of thing. And I think having that, oh, we talked about our town is desperate. Mm. I would never remember that as a character. But if it's on the character sheet and everyone has that town information there, I would think that, like we said, if it's on the character sheet, that's what you expect people to need to look at and reference. So I would expect, because the town information is there, the population, resources, security, I expect that to come up in the game. Yeah, and that's those were a couple of the ones that are on here. Civility, education, population, resources, security, and technology. And yeah, I think one of the things that this game has as an advantage is because you are locked into the town of Fairview, you don't have to worry too much about either, A, answering the question of what are we describing, which is one of the things we're right now trying to work through in Skies of Glass, is when you describe your group worksheet that has all these numbers and such on it and has a little mini game to it, it may not be a town. It might be a trade caravan, a mercenary yeah. group, a group of bandits, a street gang. It could be, a, or it could be a city. But here, you know not only that, A, it is always a city, but B, it is the same city. And reality, now, it's just a program running in the holodeck on the Enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> so you have all this here, but I think, once again, this game allows for this. And it's a neat idea that may work in some games better than others. But I love the concept that Jim's got kicking here on that. The other aspect of it that I think is unique relative to other games that I have played in the past is that there is a Game Master worksheet for the Game Master's Conspirators. Now, why that is important? Because obviously, in Fairview, something is rotten in Denmark. 
the buy-in that's going to be required from the players is that we know going in that something's rotten in Denmark, but when we start out, we are loyal, happy mm-hmm. citizens of Fairview that are doing our thing. Why do I care if there's something rotten in Denmark? I live in Fairview. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. So then things so start to go awry and I have not played it. I've only you know, mm-hmm. done a read through of the book, so I'm not going to do the best job of giving you a mechanic and you know, a deep drill down to the mechanics of the game. But the mayor is a significantly important figure. And one of the things he talks about in the game is that even though it's important that I, as the game master, am honest with you about the truths of the world, the NPC, the mayor, definitely in some regard, to some degree, depending on the campaign level, has interest in controlling Fairview and the status quo. So you're going to have someone in town who isn't necessarily above board and you know that going into it so you know Mm. that eventually this is the person for whom we carry suspicion right very interesting but one important thing on the game master sheet as opposed to the town are my trepidations right so if wayne's character and i'm paraphrasing an example from the book but if wayne's character causes a fire that burns down the local barn and the barn is an important asset to Fairview because that's where we house the cattle, right? And it gets burned down and now the cattle are in danger for inclement weather or whatever. Even if Wayne didn't do it on purpose, you know, it was an accident that still has consequences. That is still a trepidation that I have about Wayne's character. So that's something that I have a little note here on my character sheet or on my game master sheet to remember, okay, here's something that is in Wayne's background. So when he's dealing with someone with whom he doesn't have necessarily a close bond or great relationship, this is something that I certainly am going to consider to hold against him in that action. And then do those trepidations get paid off? Does he do something to offset that? So it's got a nice way for the game master to just remember those things, which are normal or note those things, which are normally the things that I think often get lost in the shuffle. I don't offset it. I double down. So I burned down Chad's barn, (laughs) his moisture farm. Hey, how are you going to burn what, a moisture that's bar? I, that's what I call it's his made of moisture. <laughs> hey, they did it in Star Wars. New Hope, that's what they burned down as a moisture yeah, farm. Burned, well, they, I mean, they burned down two, they lit two I, human beings on fire. I was going to say, they, and they then other combustibles. Yeah. And then they're like, so are you going to tell people the moisture farm burned down? No, no, no. And then they shoot that guy. And then the other guy's like, I mean, yes. Is that what happened? <laughs> Aunt What's-Her-Face got shot, just drilled in the back yep. of the head, execution style. Yeah. And then her hair from because the mm-hmm. muzzle flash was too close. No, from the it's, blaster, it's, a, it's a blaster. Bur- yeah, it burns yeah. her hair. Yeah. And then she catches fire and, and then, robes. And oh, yeah, yeah the whole thing's yeah. a thing. And yeah. then uh, was it Uncle Owen? I don't remember. Uncle right? Owen and Aunt Brewer, yeah. 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 I run over and then, I, yeah. I, I actually brewery. could not have cared less. Yeah, about yeah, those like, two like so. Why do I care about these characters, Broder? I have a question, and Shoot. you don't need to. Not a blaster, though. Oh. Not the back of the head. His hair's too nice. So. But and you don't need to elaborate on this too much because I don't know if you even can, based on the way the game's set up. But you were talking about how past a certain point. There's GM-only information, and there's a lot of secrets to the game. No, it's really just a page. Okay, well, whether it's just a page or a sentence or half the book, 
I have the same question. Is this game replayable? Yes. Okay. And I think that is actually something that I won't do as good a job as the designer will do. But replayability is one of the things like that he for talks the about. same group. Could we get to the end of a campaign? Well, sure, of because, this? because the thing is, is that we would play a different town. We, we would play a different version of Fairview, right? So our Fairview in game two or three or four is going to have different statistics. Maybe this Fairview okay. so it's re- has less civility, but greater education. So it's replayable in a For the Queen sort of way, yes. not replayable in a D&D sort of way. Where in D&D, it's like, okay, completely different characters, completely different plot. Instead of a castle, now we're on a we're on a boat so, and we're going from island to island. Well, now, now here is where I think that, that and most, instead of good guys, we're playing bad guys. We're playing a null tribe or whatever. As, and as gamers who are creative, I am very much of the opinion that this concept is totally and utterly hackable. And that if you wanted to take it into a different venue altogether and have a different reason for your isolation um, and have a different conspiracy as to why the powers that be have an interest in maintaining totally hack this and run a dark city version. Ooh. I was thinking Matrix, but well, Matrix well, and Dark City are the same like, concept, so no Matrix ripped off Dark City. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Except, well, I mean, yeah, that's that's the direction that I was yeah. going to go. Is and that Dark well, City, unlike the Matrix, was utterly isolated. It was, yeah. Whereas the Matrix was an entire world with an entire real world outside of it. Yeah, but Dark City is so literally. I was one. thinking WandaVision as well. Mm-hmm. But, oh, yeah, I guess you do that way. But, but even simpler, you could. I mean, sure, we. I mean, we have a different version of Fairview, but. If we're playing different people, different characters, so not only is the reason for isolation and the mystery different from game to game, you're different. The town, right? But I mean, like with D and D, you could say, okay, for the next campaign, there is no isolation, there is no secret to the setting. We are part of the rest of the world, and so it has a much. I think it works that way. It has a very, very broad replayability. Whereas it sounds like this has a concept level replayability. Right. But if I wanted to do a blend of Twin Peaks meets Man in the High Castle <laughs> kind of weird vibe, yeah. I could definitely pull that off in a game like this. So, yeah. again, I don't think that it is something that would have great longevity with my group because they like the fighty fight. Mm-hmm. And they like the adventure and they like to foil the villain, right? Yeah. They like to beat the bad guy. This is, I think, a game that would work well with this group of people. So the second thing that I really like about what Brodor showed us here is the game has an art book? I, or I don't know if this is It's something. a propaganda poster pamphlet. Yeah. So when you get the PDF, you get the character sheet with the game master sheet. You get the rule book, and then you get this propaganda so I love packet. The, and, and Chad noticed something that this isn't much of a spoiler, because if you're paying any attention, it's fairly obvious, is the posters that are in there have a variety of anachronisms or yeah, historical errors. Yep. And Brodor even hinted at that, though, when yeah. he was telling us about it. Yeah. And so when you look at this... I like, first of all, the existence of the art well, book. The power of their skin, too. Yes. Yep. Especially yeah. noting that. Yeah. But I like the existence of the art book because it visually draws you into the world. It gives you a sort of mood. 
and looking at these posters, it's not just generic, oh, here's a cityscape. They come with a message. They come with a tenor to them. And so you don't just get something to sort of put you in the mood of the setting or give you some character concepts or ideas, but you get an idea of even the entire tone of the story that's going on. But the presence of the errors or the anachronisms in the art, I actually think is great because it incentivizes you to pay attention and study the art. It actually gives you something deeper to see And I think the art alone would be enough. I think that would be pretty cool. This is something that I think a lot of games ought to consider is having an entire section of the book that's maybe not art within the rules, but is art that just stands on its own, whether as an art book or the last 10, 20, 30 pages are just a collection of art that draw people into the world. And in this case, this may not, once again, be appropriate for every game, but having these anachronisms, these errors, these things out of place and out of order gives you an added sense that something here is creepy, something is off, and it incentivizes you to study the art. I mean, Chad, you were counting the stars Mm -hmm. on the American flag to see if it was the correct number of stars or not. The war photographer had the wrong kind of camera. There were soldiers charging in another one that had the wrong hats. Yeah, you're like, why is it, if this is 1945, why are these, all these uniforms look like World War One? Right. Why does camera look like an old tiny camera? Yeah, and it's they, interesting. They yeah. use some terms incorrectly in there, too. It's very cool. Any which yeah. way. But for me, the big uniqueness was not just the twist that he brings to it, but just looking at that character sheet and the game in that one page Mm -hmm. telling me this is what the game is about. You know, that Mm -hmm. I I thought was pretty, pretty freaking cool. Well, fine. It's cool. Then pretty freaking cool. Is it freaking cool or just cool? It's, it's pretty freaking cool. You think you're ever going to run it? No, (laughs) no, that's actually, no, that's wow. Okay. That's your, this is I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I I don't you. That's why. No, because, (laughs) because I don't, I don't know. I, If there is one thing that I have, it is in my wake a near countless intended and Mm. unfinished projects. And so I don't want to say, yeah, for sure, I'm going to run this. But I'd like to give it a Dan Cord. In fact, Mm -hmm. I think that if anything, I would want to run it as maybe a one shot. Right. At a con, for me as a game master, I, I know there's a con coming up. There is, there mm-hmm. is, there's many cons. There's mm-hmm. the fear of the con. Yeah. There's the other con. We have listeners in DC. Anyway, <laughs> does anyone really live in? DC? Yeah, all right, I will link something in the show notes. So, in addition to fear of the con still coming up in June, there is a good chance we're still working out the details, but there's a good chance we will be appearing as guests at a convention called WashingCon, which is in Washington, D.C. I will find a link to their convention and put it in the show notes. We're still trying to figure out all the details. This isn't a certain thing, but if you're out there on the eastern seaboard sort of area and looking to hit up a convention, whether we're there or not, hey, check this thing out and get some good games in and such. I will say this. If they will have me, yeah, I want to go. Want to go? That's a big deal. That, like, for me, that is bucket list. (laughs) That is somebody said, hey, 
We would like your podcast to come out. And oh, by the way, that obnoxious dude, is he available? Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know what I'm actually, yeah. you know what I'm ruining? And I feel okay saying this because I'm going to put no details with it because I don't even have the details to put with it. Is It is totally going to be my luck that somebody is going to be doing something stupid in the Capitol while I just so happen mm. to be there. And someone's going to have a picture of me in D.C. Yeah, you're trying to eat my Big Mac. Ice cream cone. Yeah, but I just but happen to be walking past. There is total the insanity. Anarchist convention. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the radicals, the, the radical centrists have shown <laughs> right. up. I'm just going to be trying to walk past, eat my Big Mac, and someone's going to have a picture of me in mm-hmm. front of the radical violent moderates or right. something, and I I don't even know why. And this is going to create all kinds of drama and cost me my job. And that's what I'm picturing. But Mm -hmm. that's not stopping me. You know, they can't kick you off Twitter if you're not on Twitter. Yeah, well, I am on Twitter. I just never post anything. I I am not. So, all right. Once again, I will link all this stuff in the show notes. I'll put up the dates for Fear of the Con. June 16th, 18th. Yeah, June 16th through the 18th of 2022. 16th is the social mixer. 17th and 18th are the games. And then also I'll put a link to WashingCon and then to this Jim Pinto product. And other than that, you know, I hope you guys are having a great week and great games, but also a great new year. Here we are rolling into 2022. And just remember, uh, support Jim Pinto by buying Pinto beans. Yes. It's a nickel for everyone sold. He does. Yeah. He's got a trademark on the name Pinto Bean, and he makes money off of it. Mm-hmm. What I hear thing is that the Pinto Bean tycoons, like them and the Bushes Bake Beans family, like, do they have beef? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one at one point, the Bushes Baked Bean people wanted to get into Pinto Beans, but the Pinto family mm-hmm. wouldn't have it, and there was espionage and subterfuge. And, uh, and and maybe even a little bit of the murder. I don't know. You know, you, I would normally say, haha, that's funny. No. And then you look into the history of cereal and things are a lot more underhanded, messed up, and in some cases criminal than you would expect. Never and ev- choose. Never, ever, ever watch Road to Wellville, which is about that. It's about Walter Kellogg and his, well, his, his brother. They, and I, I don't his know. Bro- and his brother's in it and all of that stuff with Kellogg cereals in it. It's a terrible movie, don't yeah. watch it. Is it is a terrible movie. I watched a documentary on the history of the Kellogg family and Kellogg cereal and the fight brutal. between the two brothers. And all the coffee enemas. And holy, well, I was going to say holy crap, and then you talked about enemas. So. Uh, I mean, I'm just saying historical yeah. facts, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, Highly it's, caffeinated crap. You would not think there's that much dirty laundry inside of cereal, and there is. So maybe there are in beans as well. I don't know. But either way, thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week in great games, and we will catch you next time. Yeah.